Welcome to the podcast, Science of High Paid, High Performing, Happy Engineers. The show to help engineers develop all skills non-technical. My name is Aditya Gute and I'm a speaker and a performance coach for engineers to transform them into rock stars because I believe there's a rock star hiding inside each one of you and it just needs to be brought outside to uncover your full potential as an engineer. Hey guys, welcome to the show. We have today Surbi Khao. Surbi Khao is a business leader with immense strategy experience in both B2B and B2C companies. She has built and led product and engineering teams at technology icons like Google, YouTube, Netflix, Cisco, to name a few. She has launched many successful and insightful products over the last decade, many of which encompasses AI and machine learning expertise. She led speech recognition efforts on leading leading edge Google Home and Google Assistant enabled devices using Google Cloud ML models. Survi holds a bachelor's in engineering from IIT Kanpur and master's degree in computer science from Texas A&M University. She's very passionate about supporting the IIT community and is one of the key leaders of the IIT Artificial Intelligence and Machine Learning Forum, a board member for IIT Bay Area Organization and the former president of IIT Kanpur West Coast Alumnus Association. She has also chaired and led the Women in Product San Francisco Bay Area Organization. Thank you, Surbi, so much for being here. I've seen you on uh, senior talks on multiple occasions in uh, connection with AICA organization. You're a terrific speaker. So honored to have you on our show today. Thank you so much for inviting me, Aditya. It's completely my pleasure to be here. So let's start with your story, uh, Surbi. You are one of those unique women who who have went to IITs, one of the best IITs in India, then you know, got educated in a master's program in Texas A&M University and leading one of the major products in, uh, in Juniper. So tell us your life story on what made you pursue these big goals and big dreams. So some of it is definitely serendipity, you know, where and how I have come to be where I am. But I think some of the things um, that have helped me is is an always curious attitude. So from a young age, and I used to get in trouble a lot for this, I would question things, I would question status quo. I grew up in a very regular, you know, middle-class family in India, went to school um, and had, was given the two options, like most of people in my generation were given in India, whether you pursue medicine or engineering. And since I would uh, get very queasy at the sight of blood, I thought, uh, you know, medicine was not for me, but engineering I could handle. So that's, it's precisely this that I ended up going with because I was good both at uh, maths and biology. So my parents thought engineering would be better. And then I just like many of us gave all the entrance exams, got into IIT, not knowing that I would be one of, you know, six women in in my batch of uh, uh, graduate class. And that's when I first experienced, you know, being a minority. Um, And it, it was interesting because 
I had not really felt or understood what it meant. Even there, I, I feel that while growing up in India or going to IIT in India, it wasn't very apparent that I was a minority. I just felt that, you know, this is the, the balance doesn't seem right. There is something amiss, but I couldn't pinpoint my finger on what the challenges of being, you know, one of, of the few, um, you know, bring to the table. But as I came to the US and went to uh, the computer science program in Texas A&M, I felt the same thing. The number of women, even here, you know, one would think in a developed country, you don't see that kind of discrepancy and bias, but it is there. And I was one of the very few women in the master's program. Uh, I wanted to continue into PhD, but again, you know, I, I did not feel that that was, I would, would have enjoyed it as much. Again, being one of very few women in master's, even fewer in, in a um, PhD program. So anyways, I came to California. I got my first job at HP in California. I'm gonna date myself about 25 years ago. And ever since then, I have just worked in the Bay Area. Um, trying different things, trying different opportunities and jobs and uh, landed into product management by chance. I had been a network engineer. I was building and designing data centers. I was uh, one of the first network managers for um, Netflix when it was very small and very young. And then I went to a startup by the name of Force 10 Networks. And at that point, it was the bleeding edge uh, it was ahead of the curve in, in where what the products they had versus where, what the market needs were. I uh, learned a lot from there. And that is where my product management kind of expertise and skills started building. And then I spent almost a decade at Google doing product management. And I would say my formal, uh, I grew into a product management lead at uh, Google. And, and that's a lot of where what my learning has come from. Um, so... I spent about a decade and, and a lot of people ask me like, what made you move from Google to Juniper? And before you ask me that question, I'll answer it. <laughs> so yeah, um, so I, I have always felt that, you know, one should work towards things that help you make impact. And over time, as Google has grown, I felt as a product manager and product leader, that impact gets limited because you are one in the sea of many. And the opportunity I was getting at Juniper was to come and lead their software transformation, uh, build all their software portfolio for their hardware devices, their platforms, so do SDN, do a fabric management, do a lot of building blocks on top of the hardware layer, which is where I, I shine. So I took on that opportunity and it has been phenomenal. The journey has been phenomenal. So, um, uh, we'll talk more as you ask me questions, but yeah, this, that's a short gist of, of where I'm at and how I started and where I got. So what would you say, Surbi, are some of the main challenges that you faced, considering that you are minority at two levels, one being an Indian in America, second being a woman in the tech industry. What are some specific challenges that came with that? So I would say that uh, being of Indian origin in Bay Area has actually been an advantage because if you look at the major you know, tech industries, the leaders are, are many of them are of Indian origin and from IIT. So that branding has really helped, right? So if you look at Sundar Pichai, if you look at uh, Nadella, all, all of these leaders 
have that Indian pedigree and it's very well respected, at least in tech and at least in Bay Area immensely. So that I feel has, has not uh, been the challenge as much as being woman in tech, because that is a smaller uh, subset of people, you know, women in tech. And even at Google, it was very clear that despite a lot of effort and um, grassroots activities that were happening to increase that number, right? A lot of these companies are focusing on how can we increase the women in tech? How can we build that even from like a very young age? So I participated in a lot of programs where we go to middle school and high school girls and talk about STEM programs, talk about, you know, how we can engage women at an early age to get interested in science and technology. And despite all that, we do see that huge challenge of, of having fewer women. And what that translates into is when you're in a room full of, you know, whether it's, it's execs or leads or, you know, um, first level, second level, level managers, directors, you find that the number of women at the top keeps decreasing. So a lot of times you're the only woman in the room. And so being the only woman in the room, you have to make an extra effort to be heard, to be uh, participating in the conversations, to make your voice loud enough to match other voices. And so some of the things you have to do is you have to build champions outside of that boardroom before you get there, who will stand by your side and ensure that your voice is heard by either repeating that, reiterate. There, there are many techniques you can use, but as a woman, I have had to make that extra effort to deploy that, you know, that, 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 uh, that village to support me, to ensure that I'm able to be heard and acknowledged. That's powerful what you just uh, said, Surpi. And, and most people don't realize the importance of the community and that support network, especially when you're coming from a minority standpoint. Um, especially as engineers, we are used to accomplishing things by ourselves, right? You know, we love solving problems and we like to do it out by ourselves. Like we don't want to ask for help. So. Tell me how that shift happened wherein you realized the importance of this community and what was it like going through that phase from being an engineer to this leader and an executive? So I think uh, some of the learnings, some of us are lucky to find good mentors and good coaches. Um, I wasn't one of those people. I got learning from books. I have always been a, a bookworm. I like to read so I'm always curious um, and, and to read about leaders, right? What is their thinking? What is their strategy? And this is a strategy that not just minority or women, but I see a lot of leaders using where they engage one-on-one -on -one with other people outside that big meeting and big decision-making uh, event. You are building your, the momentum for your ideas, your thoughts. So by the time you take it, you have already corralled the various cross-functional people whose support you need to take an idea forward. So whether you're creating a new vision or a new project or a new product, you have to bring that alignment in industry and in your, you know, whatever company you're at, you have to get the stakeholders aligned outside of the boardroom. So these are, are things that I learned over time, um, you know, reading books and observing other people. And then as I grew in my career, I started having women forums and conversations with other women. And what happens is when you bring people together, there's a lot of collective uh, knowledge that builds. 
So when I would have these women sessions, whether it's women in product or at Google leading women in tech efforts, what I realized is that when you bring people together like that, they share, you know, what worked, what did not work. And you take all that learning and you, while you're leading these people into a conversation, they are growing and so are you. So I, I stand on the shoulders of a lot of women who I have collaborated with, discussed share, uh, and, and shared with, and they have shared back. And that collective sharing has helped me grow immensely. So I continue doing those efforts everywhere I go. And I, I get immense positive feedback, especially from younger women who their journey, right? Like I said, when I was in that position, I did not have that. If there was a women in tech kind of organization, women in product kind of organization 20 years ago, I could have benefited from that a lot. So what I do now is that I, I build that, I help that younger women in tech or you know, incomers in right now in Juniper, uh, I bring them together with other senior people, senior women in the organization to pick their brains, you know, ask them questions, learn from them. So slowly you start building your arsenal of, you know, uh, tools and, and weapons on how you will proceed and, and move your career forward. That, that's super powerful. The importance of creating that forum where people can express uh, their ideas, their thoughts, their challenges that they're facing, because the major challenge problem is, you know, I, I, I see that, engineers don't have that platform like you know people who are struggling not all, all of them but people who donate in these events who don't find this forum they do have the challenges but they they don't have anyone to express it with right. but when you're sitting in front of those people people open up and you see that all right this person is say, facing the same challenge as i am i'm not the only person and that elevates everyone in the room absolutely are, absolutely yeah. Uh, what are some of the other skills, survey that are required to create more impact? I mean, really growing in your career is creating more impact for your company, your customers and others, right? So you mentioned a couple of them, which is uh, having the support network and being able to rally the team even before a decision is made in, into the meeting. So having that network both inside and outside of your company. What do you think are some of the other skills that are needed to create, to increase your impact and also grow in your career? So that I use in my leadership skill set is one is be very authentic, right? When you are leading a team of people, you want to be transparent, you want to be authentic, and you really have to care for the teams that you're growing, right? As a leader, I think you cannot really fake it. And, and one should not. And, and people who have to like kind of um, make that extra effort, you know, uh, those are the ones who are success, successful. So we talk a lot about EQ, right? Some people definitely have that emotional quotient uh, really high and really strong. And those people are definitely find it easy to move into leadership roles. And I feel that I was fortunate that I do have a high level of EQ where I like to actually uh, think through what would make this person in my team successful. What is that motivates them? So you have to make a conscious effort to understand each individual the way they are what motivates them, what would success mean for them, so you can bring out the best in your teams. 
and they feel fulfilled in what they're doing. And I have been blessed. I have been able to build really strong teams in, in most of the organizations I've been at. And even people who are having challenges or struggling, you have to get to the bottom of it. You have to work with them and figure out what it is that they are desiring. There is some misalignment. And as a leader, you have to focus on that and help them. You cannot have like one way of managing and leading everybody. You cannot have one way of one incentive and, and one a meter to measure them all. It's They're all different people, different human beings. That's the uniqueness. And that's everybody brings their different skill set to the table. That's what makes a strong team. If you just keep you know, having the same cookie cutter people, you will not have the diversity of opinions. So, so that is one thing, being authentic leader uh, who really cares about their teams and people. The second thing I, I feel that has helped me is keeping a focus on the user whether I have folk, uh, built um, products in enterprise space or in, uh, you, you know, for, um, for individual users uh, in companies like Google, where, whether you are doing either of those, you have to think of who is the user that is going to use these products and what is the pain point that I'm solving. If you keep your focus on that, then whether in, in enterprise or in consumer space, you will be able to build products that are very meaningful and impactful, right? And I feel a lot of times what happens, we do let technology get ahead of the problem. So what I mean by that is, uh, you know, when people who are super technical and super smart, they build products, they are thinking of, you know, what is the best thing I can build? But the usability aspect, and the fact that the user pain point needs to be solved sometimes not i'm not saying always gets you know pushed behind so always if you just you know think of the user first every day when you start your day you think who's my user what is the pain point i'm solving and how do i get there that that i would say would be the second thing um, that that has helped me in my career and the third thing is the um, <clears throat> the point i mentioned at the very beginning is the curiosity uh, question the status quo, ask meaningful questions from your leadership, from your teams, from your customers as well. Because a, a lot of times I feel that customers would have, uh, will give you their list of asks, but it's not necessarily what they want. It's what they have been trained to want by other products, competitive products. And I see this a lot in enterprise, right? When I work at Juniper, I see a lot of customers just ask me exactly what Cisco is doing or Arista is doing, but uh, that's not how you should approach a problem. You should try and see what is my customer's end goal? What are they trying to achieve? Say, forget what everybody else is doing, right? If you go with that curiosity and that mindset of, you know, I'm here to understand. I'm here to understand what is your day, to, uh, day journey, your journey like, and what are the hurdles that you're experiencing? And then go back and do brainstorming with your team to say, you know, how can I do it? So it all ties together, right? That authenticity, that um, ability to keep the focus on the user and then ask good questions, keep that curiosity alive. I think those are the, the things that have helped me. We can go in different directions from here, but I will speak with authenticity. Uh, uh, when you said, uh, you know, Silicon Valley people, especially from minority, you know, Indian minority, they're respected. There are many leaders out there uh, who have achieved uh, great success outside of Silicon Valley, right? I've never worked in Silicon Valley. 
outside of Silicon Valley. I see a very different picture, and this is completely my own perspective. This is not everyone's perspective. I, you know, I often see that um, people from Indian origin and from different other minorities, it's not just Indians, but because I'm an Indian, I'm going to speak on behalf of my uh, community, but um, I see that we are generally afraid to speak up in the meetings. We are generally afraid uh, to ask uh, bold questions in front of to a manager or saying what we have in front of them. We are generally afraid to promote ourselves. Um, uh, we do a lot of work, but we're afraid to promote ourselves. So if someone else get a, get, gets ahead, uh, you know, might not necessarily do the work, but you know, they can talk, they can uh, communicate. So, uh, so is this even true uh, that, so, so from, me, from my perspective, it's like, you know, I might be thinking that, you know, opportunities are there for other people, not necessarily from, for me. So how true is it that uh, I, I am creating those boundaries for myself? And uh, would love to hear that. That is an awesome point that you bring up. And uh, this is a conversation I have in my women's group a lot. Um, and I'll give you an anecdote in, in, and this is specifically for women, but I think it's applicable to all minorities. Um, they did a survey in Google and there is a performance review every year and where you can self-select for promotion, right? Your manager does have to select. And they did an analysis of what percentage of women engineers and what percentage of men engineers put themselves up for promotion. You would be amazed. The percentage of women who put themselves up for self-promotion is in single digits. It's super low. They wait for their manager to do that for them, right? And so the, the understanding of self or the self-promotion like you're talking about, having a voice, uh, finding your own worth and expressing it, it's its somewhat cultural. I would say that, that for India especially, I would say it is cultural. We were raised to be humble. We were raised to not speak too highly of ourselves, right? And that, uh, when you bring it to, you know, a corporate world where it's about, you know, promoting yourself, creating your brand, you know, bringing yourself out there so people are aware of you. And when it comes time for, you know, selecting the new leader, people, you know, know, okay, this person is, is, you know, has done this work. But unless you talk about that work, people will not know. So um, this is something that we have to consciously work towards. And so I share with the women in the team that, you know, build, write about what you're doing, you know, every, whether it's weekly or monthly, if you scribe what, what you're achieving on a regular basis, you start building that awareness of what you bring to the table, right? And, and finding mentors who will help you also see what you are, what is your worth is also important. But if, if you don't have a mentor, then like writing yourself and being able to articulate very well what you're bringing to the table and sharing it, uh, going talking to a few people within the company, within your team is important. But it's, it's, uh, it's something we have to do and, and learn and kind of unlearn our, our, you know, how we were raised to think and kind of build a, this new muscle of being able to comfortably talk about yourself. And I'll give you an example. I just mentioned to you that I have strong EQ. It, it wasn't easy for me to say that, even now. I have to think, you know, is it, is it I'm, I, I, I appreciate being humble. 
for me to call out something that I have that I'm proud of, it still takes me a little bit of hesitation. But I think for the, the way you have to think about is, is that I'm just sharing who I am, what I think I am, what I'm bringing to the table. So again, it's, it's with authenticity that you do that. And the more authentic you become, the easier it becomes to talk about yourself because you're not, you're not thinking differently and saying differently. You actually believe that you're, uh, you know, you have a high EQ. You actually believe that you're authentic. And then when you say it, 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 it comes across very naturally. It doesn't come across as you're being a boastful or being, you know, arrogant. Um, so it, it's a skill that, that we have to work on constantly, constantly. It's, it's like a, a never a done thing. You're always working towards that goal of being able to talk about yourself without being arrogant. Yeah. I, I, I want you to say one more thing, that I am the best darn speaker on the planet. That's what you should be saying. <laughs> Aditya, you know what one, one of my top skills is? I am the best darn speaker on the that's because you, you, you totally deserve to say that. <laughs> Thank you. That is very, very kind of you. That's something I aspire towards. I really do enjoy speaking and I do speak from the heart. You know, I, even though I have like some points in my mind, I speak, um, you know, without having a script because I, I find that being more authentic. So Thank you for saying that. I hope I'm working towards that goal of mine to be a good speaker and to be an engaging speaker, to bring some useful bits uh, to any conversation that, that bring value to the conversation that help the other person learn and help me you know, get better as well. Yeah, so I, there is a lot of talk around providing more opportunities for the minorities. And it is not just for Indian communities. We're talking about African-American American communities and Latin communities and other communities. So I just want to focus on Indian community because that's what this conversation is around, right? Yeah. So we, they, they, talk, we, they talk about, I mean, often the conversation around other communities is giving more opportunities to minorities. So, uh, however, I don't see that conversation happening a lot among Indians. We, and it's probably one of the reasons is because we are one of the dominating you know, race in the tech industry. So that's completely <laughs> understandable. So how do you see Indians you know, speaking or not speaking in this space of diversity and inclusion? Yeah, I think, to be honest, I feel that in tech, and, and I am biased because I've been in the Bay Area for the longest time, and, and my work life is all here. When I have conversations, whether it's at work or outside of work, um, minority, the mindset of when people think of minorities is either women in tech, uh, they think of people of color, but Indians as a group, as a specific group of minority that needs additional help or or support is not really thought of as, as a point of contact. Exactly, exactly. It's not really thought of as a point effort that needs to happen. And uh, that conversation only happens when it's a hundred percent Indian uh, conversation. Like they're all Indians in the group and they will talk about the challenges. But if I'm at work and I'm having a conversation with my HR team or with you know women, this aspect does not come up because the thought is that that we are well represented. We are well represented in exec, in leadership, in, in CEOs, uh, that, that we do not really need that additional push. 
but I really feel that we do. There is a small percentage that has been able to achieve that. But I, if I look at the larger populace of Indian professionals, then I don't feel that, um, sorry, that was my son wearing by. <laughs> uh, I, no, I, no feel that, I feel that that conversation needs to happen. That conversation needs to happen to help the larger populace. And I think that can happen by forums such as what you're doing here, right? Uh, helping that conversation become more mainstream. So it is accepted and acknowledged that there is a lot of you know, Indian people who have the skill sets, but don't have the potential opportunities or are not able to shine. And, and I think that's important, the kind of things you're doing to make that happen. Thank you for saying that, Sarveet. I totally feel the same. Um, and I, I was thinking until now, to be honest, am I the only one who feels that way? Are there more people who feel that way? So, so thank you for being really bold about saying that. And, and what you said about it is very important because uh, although there are many leaders in the tech industry, like including yourself, and there are, of course, you know, there are people like Sapkanagawa and more, there are over 2 million you know, uh, engineers working in India. And that's by the statistics that I've taken recently uh, uh, taken. And among them, very tiny fraction of them actually get promoted. So even though it looks like a lot uh, of Indian engineers, but if you look at the fraction of the total Indian population living in America, it's still a minuscule amount of population who are actually taking those steps. And that's exactly what you're referring to. And you said there's a lot more people who still still uh, don't have the opportunities, whether it's self-imposed opportunities or whether it is externally imposed. Yeah, yeah. And, and also in other, um, you know, categories, like if you leave out tech, uh, we should look at, you know, how many successful uh, professionals are there in other areas, you know, whether it's medicine or whether it's, you know, yeah. hospitality or, or any other, uh, you know, vertical you take. Do we see similar success in other places? We should assess that. I've never thought about that. That's a, that's a great point, 100%, because we always are focused on tech. We don't even think about that uh, yeah. industries yeah. at all. And then maybe uh, there is there is other challenges they face there that should be addressed. Um, so Great. So I'm going to ask you a tough question. Um, sure. Office politics. It yeah. can be referred to as something you know productive it really depends on how you look at office politics. or it could be looked at as something very negative detrimental to the company what is your view of uh, on office politics so i have a, a very different take on office politics i would say i think um i feel that wherever there are people right there will be politics and by politics, I mean, um, I think of it something, not a negative thing, but people just creating cohorts of support groups and wanting their opinion to be heard. Um, a lot of it also comes from insecurity. You know, people are insecure. They want to ensure that their position, whether it's in a family or whether it's at work, is, you know, supported by some other people, like-minded people. So they're always figuring out how to create that, that cohort. If, if it's done with that mindset, I think that's okay. I think where it becomes bad if, is if people do or take actions that are detrimental to the mobility of the company or to the goals of the company, right? Otherwise building your own group of people to support your ideas and thoughts is very natural and normal. In fact, that's what I'm promoting as well. 
whether it's in families or whether it's in friends or whether it's in, you know, work, this kind of people dynamics always happens. In fact, we have so many, you know, the real, t- those uh, live TV shows about that, right? People colluding and creating groups and trying to figure that. So if it's working in a direction of building steam towards an effort that is good for the, for the good of the company, that makes sense to me. It's where people get to the point of where this politics is detrimental to the long-term success of the company. That's when I feel that leadership needs to say, okay, we need to put a stop at this or, or keep it at a healthy level. So it, it can very easily go from this healthy spirit to a negative, uh, you know, uh, uh, negative spirit where you are de, uh, demotivating your teams or, or causing a lot of uh, negative impact to the, the bottom line of the company. And that's when it's not good. So that's, that's my take on politics. I don't think we can get away from politics, uh, you know, as long as there are human beings. If uh, machine learning takes over, AI takes over, then we might have a different set of problems. <laughs> but until we have human beings who have politics. Yeah. That's a powerful perspective on office politics because more, many people... Uh, use the excuse of office politics to not do anything about it. Uh, and because, hey, you know, I'm not about office politics. I don't like it. So I'm not going to do this. And maybe I'll find it another company. But the same thing is going to repeat in the other company because there are humans, no matter where, which company uh, you go with. And really your approach is, uh, is magnificent, which is that you're, it's, it's about the mindset. It, it's not a bad word, even though that is, uh, you know, it has a lot of negative connotation but it's really shifting your mindset can uh, can help you take advantage of it to not only help yourself, your team, but also the company. What's your, I mean, Thank I have, you. Uh, I have a, you know, I could be asking a lot of questions, but because of the limited time, I'm going to ask you sure. one final question, which is that what's your advice to a little girl in India who has big dreams to, to make a huge impact? Uh, but but is afraid about what the society tells her. Is it, she's afraid about speaking out, speaking her voice. What is your what is the advice you give that little girl? So um, two two things I would say. One is that having big dreams is it's a, a, such a beautiful thing. One has to cherish it. Unless you have dreams, you know, if, if you dream to land on Mars, you might end up landing on moon, but you got somewhere. Without a dream, you cannot really move forward, right? You, you, would, uh, you would just dwindle and give into status quo. So dreaming is a great thing. We are fortunate to be in this era now, whereas there's so much uh, availability of social platform and social media for our upcoming generations to find a voice and to find people who will have similar, you do not have to look in just your vicinity of people that might be telling you or you know, quietening your voice or might be you know, uh, squashing your dreams. You have the ability to, to write and build that community anywhere in the world. So I would say to a person like that who's struggling because their 
uh, near a community that is near to them or wherever they're growing up is not able to support them, I would say that go find your village, find your village online, find your village outside of the people that you're directly uh, in contact with. There is a, a huge world out there and you will always find people who will support you. You'll also find naysayers, but you stay away. And this is something I, I tell my kids as well, that you will always find people who will support you. But once you expose yourself to that social platform, you will also find people who will be like, you know, against things you say, will put a lot of negative stuff. You will have to learn to ignore that, walk away from that and find the positive, hold on to that positive so you can keep growing. It's like, you know, you take all these small uh, positive endorsements that you get and you build your dam that you're gonna hold on to, to survive all these, you know, big currents of wave that are coming towards you, trying to, uh, you know, capsize your, your boat and your dreams. That's a powerful message. Uh, Surabhi, any final thoughts that you would like to share with our audience today before we wrap up this session? I, the final thoughts would be that you have asked me some, some extremely meaningful questions. I, I really enjoy these conversations where you think of, you know, what can we do? What are these challenges? Are they even being related and heard and thought through? You know, and, and when enough people say that, then we create that momentum, right? And I think you are adding value by doing that. So let's talk about that. Let's bring it to the forefront. Let's talk about, you know, Indians being a minority and what we can do. Let's talk about, yes, we have success in tech, but what about other areas? Yes, let's talk about, you know, what can be some of the tools and support structures we can put in place to help you know, mobilize our, our youngsters into achieving, you know, their dreams and, and not feel that bias and their prejudices that we see in, in the communities where non-tech communities and outside of the few metropolitan, you know, uh, play in the world. Other than that, that there's a very biased system outside. Even here we have biases, but I would say it's not as prevalent. So I would say, keep doing what you're doing and keep building this awareness. And, uh, you know, I'm here to support you and, and support your efforts and, and, you know, the broader community in any way I can. So I'll take your advice, which is to find your support community. I think I found my support community today with Sulbi Kao. It's a pleasure talking to you uh, <laughs> today and, and uh, hearing your perspectives. And many in many ways, I somehow felt, always felt that, you know, we are at place where we don't even want to talk about it. We don't even want to talk about the struggles that minorities face. And it's, it's wonderful to hear that, yes, there are struggles. We got to be, be more vocal. We got to, you know, break those uh, limiting beliefs and barriers and help these young girls and young kids in different parts of the world, right, you know, to rise up the corporate ladders and uh, to help them realize that they can live their dreams. Thank you again, Surbi, for being with, with us here. It's always, it's a, it's a great pleasure. I had the last uh, interview. Thank you very much, Aditya. Take care. Bye. Thank you for listening to my podcast. Hopefully you learned some important nuggets to uncover the rock star from inside of you. If you have any questions, you can reach me on my email at Aditya at whoweare.io. It's A 
D-I-T-Y-A at whoweare.io.